Hello and welcome to Nikki Lyle Creative Presents with Industry Leaders, where today I'm joined by very special guest, Milana from NERD. Uh, welcome, Milana. Thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome, Milana. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki, and thanks everybody for joining today um, for a chat. Um, as Nikki said, my name is Milana and I run Nerd Productions, um, which is a creative-led studio, and we pride ourselves in promoting and representing diverse talent. So the first question I have for you is, at what point in your life do you have a defining moment when you thought, I want to become a creative? Um, oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I can't say that it was like a light bulb moment, but I always knew that um, I wanted to do something creative. And I found that um, I really enjoyed creative writing when I was younger and I enjoyed filming. So I think it was just like a discovery and a, a gradual journey that eventually built up to like, oh, I'm really enjoying doing production. And then it kind of took off from there and I found myself producing and years later, here we are. So what's the timeline of your career from when you started to then just before you set up NERD? Um, so I started out really young. So I was 17 when I got my first job as a runner at a production company. And that was straight after college. Um, and basically, I just decided, you know, uni's not for me. Um, and I'm not particularly an academic person. I just enjoy getting stuck in and I'm really hands on and I like physically doing and making things. So I thought I'm going to give it a go, just get a job and see what happens. And initially that was really, really challenging. I think our industry is known for not being easy to break into, um, especially not having had any contacts or, you know, useful relationships that would make the initial introduction. So it was really, really tough. Um, but I kind of worked my way up from the runner position up through the ranks. And I think before I, just before I was 25, I started producing um, more actively and then slowly, slowly. I think I started NERD when I was 30, so five years ago now. Wow. And what made you decide to set up NERD? Um, I think the story of NERD is a little bit of a non-conventional one, um, just because the way that NERD started was through a series of really horrible events where a production company where I was working at before closed down. Um, and my old boss, essentially, who's I was his right hand woman um, for a while at the company, um, he essentially closed it down in a really bad way and didn't pay people and then actually tried to use me as a scapegoat because I was his right hand and say like, oh, I, I wasn't in the country. And we were halfway through productions. We had jobs going on. And I think as a producer, I just saw it as a problem and as a challenge where I had to deliver this work that I had promised to my clients yeah. um, because I had to face them. And then obviously I had all these directors that I was working with. And if I'd just stopped and started crying about my personal issues, well, they'd be out of work too. So it was a problem that just needed solving basically. Um, so my other half, who's, you know, he was an incredible support then as he is now, um, he was just like, you need to just set up a company and deliver these jobs and carry on doing this because you're amazing and you've been doing it for someone else for so many years. Why just not do it for yourself? And then a couple of my directors who still work with Nerd and one of the mentors at Nerd as well, Shai, um, he was like, oh, absolutely pushing me into it <laughs> to the point where I was like, you know what, maybe I should try this. So I think nerd was initially started out of fear in a way just because i was like well what what next you know what do we do now um and it was just not giving up really and not wanting to just be like a victim in a horrible situation but actually be like well how do we solve this how do we move on um and that, that is how nerd started there was no grand plan at the time it was just like operation salvage <laughs> yeah that's really inspiring. Like every industry leaders talk I've run, it all talks about grit, resilience, determination, and having a focus and saying, right, we're just going to go for this no matter what and push through. Uh, what does NERD stand for? 
I think it, it for me, and I hope that it, it, this kind of transpires out there into the world and for a lot of our talent, um, I think we all feel really strongly about standing for something different in our industry and being able to do work that we're proud of and use our craft to actually make a difference and be representative of a global audience, you know, and not just speaking to one niche target. I, I think we all come from very different backgrounds and have very different skill sets. And I think from the very beginning, we wanted to be a part of a company that is very inclusive and that, you know, accepts people for who they really are and recognizes their talent. Um, so I, I think that is really what Nerd is. It's become a little bit of, you know, a company that's known for, you know, how much we try and push diversity and young talent and female talent and those that are underrepresented. Um, but, you know, we couldn't do that without our seasoned allies as well. So we've got, as I mentioned earlier, people like Shai, who coach and nurture a lot of young talent and female talent. And he's one of our great collaborators, as is Lucas. Um, and then on the live action side, we've got Hilton, who's, you know, put in so much time into nurturing young talent who then go on to be really successful live action directors. But I think we all bring our passions to the table. And I think what we have in common is that, as you said, almost resilience and the drive to actually, you know, bring something different to the table. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things I love about Nerd and why I really wanted to speak to you because of everything that you stand for um, and your values are very closely aligned to mine as well. Um, and it's it's great to have businesses such as yours that really make a stand for that and, and you know, diversity and inclusion and mentoring and, and helping discover this talent and, and help them on their way to, to flourish within the industry. Um, so what were the early years, like the years one and two of Nerd Mike? Um, honestly, it was really, really difficult. And I think quite often people think, you know, when you're a founder of a business or an owner of a business, you know, I've had young people say to me like, oh, you know, I, I want to do what you're doing. And, you know, I just want to be able to delegate. And I'm just like sat there thinking, oh, God, no, that's really not what you know being responsible for a business is like at all it, it's not about just sitting there and being like oh can you please go and do that it's actually really really tough especially at the beginning where you know we were a company that was you know say okay we represent diverse talent and of course we've got seasoned talent too but this is what we're really passionate about together and it's just not something that the industry was ready for at all and there were a few big agencies and brands that were like, oh, yay, diversity. And then you kind of like send in the folios and the talent. They're like, yeah, but these, these guys, they haven't shot this commercial exactly. And I'm like, yeah, because we haven't done that brief before. You know, give them the opportunity. You can see the potential. But I think in the beginning, a lot of the talent was getting sidelined just because they, they didn't have the name or their reputation and they, they weren't that well known. And also, you know, they weren't uni pals with the creatives, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it was really challenging. And then obviously there was me who was the founder and I was like, you know, in my early thirties. And I do feel like a lot of the, you know, agency senior staff weren't really taking me very seriously because they were kind of like, mm, what does she know? <laughs> so actually I think it took a while to get there and, you know, you do feel like you're kind of banging your head against the same brick wall over and over again. Um, but I think as we started showing that, you know, we're not just preaching diversity, we actually mean it and it is authentic um, and we're not talking about it to be relevant. People actually took note and it's the same for the talent. I think regardless of what their name is or, you know, how much experience they might or might not have, people started seeing the work and being like, oh, actually, these guys know what they're doing and it is looking really good. So let's get them on board. So as I said, the beginning is brutal. Um, and I think you know, you have to be prepared for the highs and the lows. And at first, there were much more lows than there were highs. But it's just about not giving up really and seeing it through and believing that, you know, people will recognise what we are and who we are, that we do have a really, really talented bunch of nerds. 
Yeah, well, this, this is the main issues within our industry or all the industries in general. And this is something I always advise clients is when people want to hire creatives and they say, we want them to have, as you said, this work in their portfolio and this experience, this account. And I always say to clients, you have to hire for potential, especially if you're dealing with someone from a background that hasn't had those opportunities and you have to give it to them. And, and that is the most important part as well. It's, it's going back to that inclusion, isn't it, with diversity and making sure that you're giving people a chance to excel that may Absolutely. not have before. I yeah and that's what this is exactly you know where I, I love what you stand for and it's like actually opening people's eyes that you know it, this is not just a box ticking exercise and you know as Lydia who's one of our um, talent reps always says you know imagine if together we're responsible for changing somebody's career you know collectively we can see that potential and isn't that what we're supposed to do as the people with more experience you know we can be that support and be the hand holders for the brand and the client and put our trust in somebody else and actually give them the opportunity to be their best but help them flourish because once they do that commercial that breaks them or that piece of content it, we have together changed somebody's career and essentially you know that changes someone's life and you know I for sure want to leave this industry when I'm old and frail um, and I, I want somebody to turn around and say oh you know that crazy Milana she actually helped me and she did something that changed the course of my career that would be a really nice thing to have people say you know there is no amount of awards on a shelf that will make a difference when you're sort of 75 looking at them and it's like oh great I made all this awarding award-winning work but did people like me did I make a difference what did I actually achieve to contribute to society because in advertising we influence so much you know we influence lifestyles fashions anything that's consumed we have a power so I think we do have a responsibility to people that come into the industry as well and we have to honor that yeah, definitely. And, and also it's about representation and you can't be what you can't see. And yeah. you're seeing uh, where your career could, could end up, how you could, someone else has developed before you and, and then more people feel confident. Okay, well, that could happen for me too. It's not just this. We do have this issue a lot within advertising and in our industry of privilege and, and how there's barriers, systemic barriers that have to be overcome. Um, and it's great that you know you're a big advocate for that as am I and I guess together we can try and create some industry change um, so what sort of projects are you working on at the moment um, oh there's a couple that we're really really excited to share we're working on a really cool project with Havas um, I'm not technically allowed to say what it is, but okay. it's, it's for a big sort of um, home brand and yeah, it, it's been, uh, we call it the relief project because we've been working on it, something that's really spring inspired, really beautiful, um, so it's um, beautifully crafted high-end CGI um, directed by Peter Shevchek and um, yeah, it's going to be out in March and we've been working on it all winter. So it's been really nice to kind of get mesmerized by these beautiful scenes um, that are much warmer and sunnier than what we've been having this winter and slightly getting lost in it. And we're also working on some artwork um, for a really, really huge um, video game, um, which will be coming out very soon too. But sadly, I can't actually specifically say the names. I had to no, check this no. morning. It's like, am I allowed to talk about it by name or not? And I'm, I'm actually not. Okay, well, we'll have to watch this space, which is exciting. Um, how have you found that the pandemic has affected um, work? Have you been affected at all? I guess most people um, have. Yeah, I think it's it's really tricky to say because obviously with, you know, representing so much talent from, you know, all over the globe, we've always been quite remote anyway, because not we're not necessarily all in the same office at the same time. So in that sense, the way we work hasn't actually changed. Um, but we, you know, we do miss our days in the office where we get together and, you know, um, 
have our wasabi lunches or go out for drinks after work. I think it's the social aspect and it's just always really nice when, you know, you get a briefing and we all sit together in one room and flesh out some initial ideas and then everybody kind of goes off and does something and then we come back and share it. Whereas now everything's kind of online and you're kind of living this life through WhatsApp and Zoom where we're constantly sharing, but somehow you, you don't necessarily feel like, you know, you're as connected as we were before so that's the tricky thing um but i think work-wise it, it's been quite crazy for us really it's just been one thing after the next which is really exciting and we're really fortunate um that the pandemic hasn't affected us in a negative way um so in a way it's been tweaking but yeah the social aspect is something that we're massively missing yeah, I think most people are. It's just that Friday drinks. It's so that's such an anticlimax now, isn't it? After like a busy week, and then you just shut your laptop down, and you're like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to move from the chair to the, the sofa. Netflix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, what do you look for when you're hiring people to join Ned? Um, oh, I think I always look for a spark. And it's not necessarily, you know, as you were saying before, experience is something that you gain. And sometimes it's, you know, obviously we value and we do need those with experience massively because, you know, they're the nurturers, they're the ones that share that knowledge in an unselfish way. Um, but at the same time, I think you have to find that something. And I, I always say it's like what makes you a nerd. So there has to be something in a person's personality that, you know, just grabs us and think, oh, you know, this person will make a great addition to the puzzle and they'll bring something new to the table or something different and it doesn't need to be their experience so i think the initial connection with a person is really important and then just understanding you know how they operate what their passions are what their drives are and what their personal interests are because i think that's something that's really really important that you know we can all help support each other's personal um, missions and um, hobbies or whatever it might be um, but I think it's really nice for to have somebody that does join to bring something new to the table and you know that could be anything really yeah definitely um, I guess that's how many people are in the team at the moment at NERD well, it really depends on the project. So we've got our core team, um, but then that kind of expands depending on how many projects we've got and what projects we've got on. So, you know, if we're shooting, suddenly things get really, really frantic and, you know, there's so much going on with the shoot prep. Um, and then once the shoot is done, you're suddenly going back down to like editing and, you know, doing motion graphics if you're doing any of those and um, grading and that there's always, it's kind of like that. Um, so in our core team, we also have two divisions. So one is more digital and one is the creative. So in our core team, there's about 10 or 11 of us. Um, but then that kind of expands to 15, 16 of us, depending on how many projects we have. And then everybody else is kind of our regular um, freelance crew that specialize in specific styles of animation or illustration support and same with the live action crew. Yeah. And what advice would you give to anyone that's watching this that wants to set up their own agency? Oh, um, I think you just have to be so, so resilient and have endless drive. I think the learning curve is really, really, really tough one. And the bottom line is that the universe doesn't owe you anything. The industry doesn't owe you anything. In fact, no one does you kind of have to go out there and make your own stars and just not give up. And sometimes that is just really, really difficult not to do. You know, there were days in the very early days of nerd where, you know, I would come home crying and I would just be like, why did I decide to do this? It's so difficult. You know, when you've been working on a pitch for like two weeks and the whole team has poured their heart and soul into it. And then, you lose a pitch for some unfair reason that you just think it's like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. It's not a creative reason. And then having to tell everybody that's put in just as much effort, hard work, and, you know, emotionally it's very draining because you care about what you're doing. Um, then to have to tell everybody that we didn't get the pitch and then tell them why, um, 
that can be really soul destroying and difficult. So I think you have to have crazy amounts of resilience and self-motivation to just be able to get over those difficult hurdles because it's easy to reap the rewards basically. I think it's it's a lot harder to get to that point though. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, true leadership is how are you when, when things aren't going your own way and how can you motivate your team and and resilience, as you said, is is so important. Um, how do you attract your clients? Um, I think it, it's like anything really. It's like when we speak to new talent, you always seek out clients that um, you know are doing something that you think, oh, actually, we'd really love to be a part of that, whether it be for specific um, skill or specific crafting technique, or if it's just like a feel-good brand that they're working for that we really love and we think, oh, that agency is doing something really cool. Um, you know, we'd love to be a part of that. So that's how we seek out our clients, and when they come to us, that's what we look for in briefs as well. Um, I think, you know you kind of have to align on certain things so whether it be creatively you're on the same page or whether you have similar ethos or you know similar way of working I think you have to have some kind of foundation because that initial trust is so so important and I think you know every agency or brand that we work with they put so much trust into our hands for us to do our best and you know make films and illustration pieces that serve their purpose and are relevant and authentic so it's a big responsibility on any project I think you know it is important that we do gel yeah would you say that that's what your process is when you work with clients it's finding that that initial gelling of the you've got the same core values and, and ethos and vision yeah I, I think you know it initially it kind of goes either way like everything falls into place and you love each other and you're like you leave the call and you're really like excited and you can't get going and sometimes you know I think honesty is really really important as well so sometimes there have been really uncomfortable conversations that needed to be had whether it come to casting in a commercial um and you know something that we feel like oh maybe the agency hasn't quite considered that we need to cast a little more diversely here or whatever and it's it's really difficult to bring that up and have that conversation openly and honestly because first of all if you haven't spoken to the creatives before and the agency you know you don't want to come across as like oh well you you know your brief is crap let me make it better for you <clears throat> yeah and that's not the case at all because you know they're coming to us to help them elevate their ideas so you know having a challenging conversation in the beginning can be you know quite difficult and most of the time companies are like mm, actually we really want this client so I'm not going to say anything and that's how everybody just goes along with it and then you end up with you know we've seen those car crash moments in advertising where you're like how did this piece of work get made and nobody had noticed like um you know recently the government um campaign that we saw um that was you know in a, in a really difficult situation we're promoting all the things that people are having to do at home and we had the women doing all the chores and then at the end of the day you know it almost felt like they were lucky enough to sit down on the sofa with their partner and a child and watch some tv um, and there, there was no accurate representation and it was actually a really sexist piece of work but it clearly you know the endless teams have seen this and nobody had flagged it so we do try and have those difficult situations and I think you know they only better the overall output of everybody's work and if if we're not aligned and people are not open to those conversations um and you know if it doesn't work out that's also fine I think not everybody can be of that mindset and you know it just means that that collaboration isn't meant for us yeah it it always shocks me whenever there is things like sexist work being produced these days as well you just think whoa really how did that get through all the different um you know opinions of people before this actually went live so um yeah are there any mistakes that you've made in your career oh I'm sure there's loads <laughs> um, <laughs> anything you can I... think of and sometimes <laughs> sometimes it's like a mistake but then you can pivot in a way where you can make the most of out of out of it 
into more. Yeah, I think that's the thing about, um, you know, having a producer background that it doesn't matter what goes wrong on any given day. You kind of just have to kind of accept this is what's gone wrong and think, okay, well, how do we work this out and move forward from it rather than sitting there and thinking, oh no, like we've made a huge mistake and there's never time for that. So you kind of always see it as challenges and things that need to be overcome and not like tomorrow, they need to be solved right now. Um, so I think there's never really time to kind of sit there and reflect on anything that hasn't gone according to plan for too long because you just need to resolve it and get on with it. But I'm sure in my early days, um, there's probably a few moments if I look back at it now where I'm kind of like, oh God, really? Did I think that was a good solution? Um, I can't think of something at the top of my head right now. Yeah, no, that's fine. I think mainly like when I've asked this question within like the graphic design industry, it's been something like typos where people have had a typo on a huge billboard or something like that. Whereas I guess within production, that's <laughs> very unlikely to happen, really. Um, um, I think, yeah, as you said, there's so many people in so many layers where you just think, oh, actually, I do have one. Here we go. It's come back to me now that you've given me an example. A long time ago, we were doing a project for Leo Burnett in New York, and we had the most amazing creative team. They're really lovely guys. And we presented these initial style frames, and it was a story about a guy um, overcoming his journey. So it was an animated piece. And um, the way that the illustrator had drawn him at the time and honestly I had stared at this piece for so long it was probably about two weeks we had all these different characters and they had similar body shapes and it was only when we got this email and the creator was like I think it's best if we hop on the call just to chat through the feedback and I was like oh my god it must be really bad but you know looking over the brief I'm like we definitely answered the brief and basically they just didn't want to put it in the email but the illustrator had drawn his downstairs really bulky and they were just like we can't put this out it's so inappropriate so as a producer I really should have flagged that and seen it um, but it's one of those funny awkward moments where we were like oh god this is really bad <laughs> we need to quick redraw and smooth that out slightly make his trousers look a bit more normal all good carry on <laughs> one of the funniest ones I've heard actually out of all the examples but I guess yeah oh my god um, in animation especially um artists do draw shapes and especially if they're abstract pieces that later on if you're kind of watching through it you're like oh there's a boob oh there's something else that's quite naughty that shouldn't be <laughs> oh really and then they just put it in and then you're like <laughs> notice it afterwards well, yeah it's, and it's not like that it's a subconscious thing I think that we people do that we don't actually notice that it's happening until someone else with fresh pairs of pair of eyes is like can you not see that in the screen in the corner over there <laughs> well, what's some like standout projects that you've produced that you love that spring to mind oh uh there's so many i think um well uh, uh, most recent one is probably a piece that we did for charlie banana which is a brand that does diapers um, as in children's nappies and they're sustainable um, and the company was started by um, this incredible young woman and she kind of had hit the ground running all by herself it's such an inspiring story and you know this is something that's sustainable at the moment i think the waste in that department is absolutely insane um, as is with like baby wipes and stuff so it was really nice to get a project where we're like oh do you know what this is something that makes a difference to our everyday lives but also helps towards the planet and the environment that we live in but what was really nice about it is that the agency were also really looking to us to, you know, pull together a handcrafted piece using all these handcrafted materials. And they were really pro um, promoting a mixed race family, um, which is quite rare in animation, really. Um, and yeah, they just kind of let us get on with it and really trusted the process, although we'd never worked together before. Um, but, you know, from the first conversations, we just kind of clicked and that was it. So I think that's one of my favorite, most recent projects um, for sure. Yeah, I've seen that one. That's a really lovely project. Um, what advice would you give to any, um, especially young females that want to become executive producers? It's quite a male dominated industry. What advice would you give to them at the moment if any of them are tuning in? 
I think you you just first of all you know stay your true self I think being yourself is really important and not succumbing to the pressures and I know that's really really difficult when you're always in a room full of people where you'll feel like you know you're the odd one out and that can be soul destroying just to speak up or have an opinion and then when you do you're immediately shut down and you know trust me I know exactly the feeling and what you're going through but I think you know just don't stop doing that and you know I'm not saying just say something to contribute towards the conversation or for the sake of having an opinion because you know that in a way works against you and there's no point of doing that it's not useful it doesn't help you doesn't help the project doesn't help anyone but I think when you have something to contribute and it is valid I think it's really really important to diplomatically actually voice your opinion and you know back it with facts because people can't discredit you and that's that and I think you know it's a slow road i think as an industry we've still got a long while to go but i think we're making progress you know that five years ago it wasn't as good as it is now and i'm sure in five years we'll be in a much better place and i think you know no revolution happened over to, overnight so we all have to be a part of it and contribute but also you know push ourselves so i think just kind of I'm not saying grin your teeth and bear it but you know just be patient and definitely keep pushing I think if you just like chip away bit by bit um you know you do get there I'm the living proof of that so if I did it I'm sure everybody else can too and I'm really excited to see what um the world's going to look like once we start to go back to normal because what I've observed has happened is uh, when I first started recruiting and obviously being like an advocate for for diversity um, there were companies that weren't as open as receptive to it but I think 2020 it just exposed so many things and it's a real leveler for a lot of people and a lot of people have actually had a chance to reflect and because we haven't been on the constant conveyor belt of work sleep work sleep we've had a chance to to look at society as a whole and I think some companies are looking at the work they're putting out there and the people they're working with and the people they have in their teams as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think there was something different about 2020 in that sense. And we've been talking about that a lot over here um, because we've seen these trends before where diversity suddenly becomes almost fashionable to talk about and it almost becomes like a trend that, look, we're going to do something about it. And then, you know, it's like any other fad, you talk about it for a bit and then it dies down. But I feel like in 2020 a lot more people kind of woke up a little bit and were like hold on this really is an actual problem and they actively started seeking um you know production companies like ourselves that are diversity driven and that have diverse talent but they didn't just come to us to give us the third place on the bid list and be like you're the token or you're the wild card or whatever it might be we were actually considered for the talent's capabilities. Um, and I think that's been really, really refreshing. And, you know, they they did award work, we, you know, our underrepresented talent had an incredible year last year. So I'm only hoping that this is something that people stay true to and, you know, becomes normal rather than something that we're constantly actively trying to do. It, it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be an effort. It, it actually, you shouldn't even have to have a conversation and be like, oh, we really want a female director for this. It's like, no, you just want the right person for the job. The fact that she happens to be a she, um, you know, it's just who she is. It, it really shouldn't be a conversation. So I hope that, you know, eventually we do get to that point where equality really means equality. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more because no one wants to be having those conversations where you feel like there's kind of a tokenistic hire because someone's trying to tick a box, right? And this isn't how we move falls as an industry it's about giving people opportunities but at junior level and making sure those opportunities remain consistent because what tends to happen in the industry is certain people are prioritized over others because of an unfair um, advantage and then they get given all the different jobs and then that's when the inequality seems to happen so that's yeah. really positive to hear that um you had a really good year last year with some of your, your younger talent um how do you find your artists do you go out and seek them do they approach you um it's a bit of both i think it's really important to mix it up so if we do see um potential in you know a, a young rising um individual then we definitely seek them out and you know see 
if they're the right fit for us and of course if we're the right fit for them because it doesn't necessarily mean that it works both ways um but a lot of our talent do come to us as well um and then again the process is the same um i think it's just key that you know they're of a really collaborative mindset because we do a lot of that at merge like the guys really often team up um on projects when the opportunity arises which is really nice because you just elevate each other and you know you always come up with more ideas and more interesting ideas um, when we talk about it openly rather than seeing each other as competition um, which sometimes happens as well so yeah I think it's a bit of everything it's a bit of a mixed bag um, how we find our talent and that's how we like it I think in a way it's really cool to be able to you know look around and be like okay who's next what's going to be the new exciting thing that we add to nerds roster so anyone that's listening to this that really wants to be a part of Nerds Roster, what's the best way for them to approach you? Is there anything, a way you like to be approached? Any top tips? Um, I mean, just let your work and your personality do the talking. I think it's, you know, there are sometimes really um, quirky emails that we get and they kind of grab your attention straight away or sometimes it's a funny picture that's attached or um, I interviewed somebody yesterday actually who completely blew me away and it was a wild card and I wasn't sure if, you know, I should add them to the shortlist because I didn't want to get their hopes up and waste their time. Um, but I'm so glad that I invested the time because my gut feeling was right. So sometimes it's just that feeling that you get about somebody. And I think if you've got that feeling about nerds, then reach out. Yeah, I, I'm always a fan. Whenever I work roles, I'll always submit people that I think will really fit the brief and then a wild card. And then you'll be sometimes surprised, especially if the wild card is someone that really wants the job, but they know they might not necessarily quite have the skill set but because they're so passionate about it, they either really present themselves well at interview because they know they're the wild card, so they'll go above and beyond. And I think that's the main thing as well. Any advice for anyone looking for work is to not be complacent. And like you said, Milana, like no one owes anyone anything, their time, a job or anything like that. And I think when you are mindful of that with your approach and how you reach out to people you want to work with, that can really take you quite far I think rather than being complacent yeah no absolutely I, that's the attitude that I absolutely love because I think when people are kind of like I really want this but because I want it not because somebody owes me it, it's yeah it actually is so refreshing and you know it's nice to see that people have got drive and a sense of purpose and where they're going um and you know i love that about a lot of young people if they haven't got the skill set that's fine that's something that you learn and that's something that we're here for and you know just because you've done something for 25 years the same way that doesn't mean it's the right way now today and also it doesn't mean that it's right for the company that you go to work at next because the way we do something somebody else might be like oh, no that's not how we do it here at all so i think you know those things are something you learn um and over time you learn the same thing you know seven or eight times just how you do it differently the, the bottom line is it's the result that matters really yeah i agree so so what plans do you have for this year so you've mentioned some projects in march that we need to that are being released that we can uh, look out for um how how's uh, this year looking for you do you have any idea when you might want to get yourselves back to the office or will you carry on remote working for a while um i think at the moment we're kind of just riding the wave because we really don't want to set a goal and say like oh we're going back to the office in this month or that month because i think initially a lot of our friends in the business did that last year for october and then people were really disappointed and let down and you know we had plans that you know we wanted to we missed seeing each other and we miss seeing our clients it's always really nice to meet up for lunch or for drinks and we kind of like booked stuff in and then felt really disappointed when we couldn't do it so i think we're just seeing how it goes and saying okay when we can we'll meet up socially but there's no pressure to go back into the office i think we don't want people taking risks that they're not comfortable with and you know the way we work everybody seems to enjoy it at the moment and I think it's nice to give people that freedom that, you know, the work is being done. So it doesn't really make much difference whether you sit at home and, you know, you don't waste time for meeting or you're actually in the office. It's kind of a choice now, I think. 
Do you think that you'd want everybody to go back to the office five days a week now or have you got used to this flexible working where people can work a few days from home and a few days in the office once we go back to the new normal? Um, we were never five days a week office, <laughs> to be honest. So, um, for example, I think I rarely went in the whole week myself. And I think everybody else on the team would kind of like work from home some days. And then some days we'll come into the office. Like we'll have our days where everybody's in the office. And again, that was just to regroup and see each other, really. And sometimes it's nice um, to actually be together in the same room. Um, but then we did a lot of remote working or, you know, if um, we're traveling for shoots, you're out of the office anyway. So I, I don't think it makes much difference to us. And I think it's nice to, you know, give people that time that they've spent sitting on the train, being stressed um, on the commute and being stressed with delays um, to actually be at home. And, you know, if it means sitting at home having breakfast with their kids or getting ahead and doing a bit of work either way um I think it's nice to have that time yeah it's been really interesting to see how all of a sudden we've had to work from home and companies had to just trust all their employees that the work would get done and to an incredibly high standard still working from home so I think we've had some real advancements in general globally actually from people having that work-life balance of yeah ability. i think it's been really for you know some of the more corporate big agencies and brands that had never worked like that and were very much like you know you come in at nine and um you know they had that strict routine i think it's been really really you know difficult for them to get their head around this way of working um but i think as it becomes a little bit more normal it's really funny because you're seeing some of those bigger companies already downsizing their offices and saying like you know we're going to become almost like a we work where we're hot desking and everybody is a bit more relaxed so yeah it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out yeah same i can't wait to see it and i guess there's going to be less when i think about people used to fly over to client meetings in Europe for a one hour meeting and fly back again. Um, guilty, I know, so, so <laughs> not great, but I can't, you know, it's, that was the, probably the most difficult thing to get used to during the pandemic was I, I spent half of my life sitting at Gatwick Airport and doing conference call from like the Pret or the lounge. But, um, you know, we would go to a meeting and then stay over for the weekend or, you know, flying out to the US just to wrap a job. So it's it's a little bit weird, I have to say, not to be able to do that. And I miss, you know, going to restaurants abroad. And now it's got to the point where I'm like, I just miss eating out. I want someone to bring the food and then take the plates so we don't have to wash them up. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, it's definitely strange not seeing clients as well. Um, I think you know, everybody just gets on Zoom in the morning and then you kind of get off Zoom late at night. You don't ever have that moment where, you know, you have an hour where you go out with your clients. Um, you really get to know them. You have lunch together and talk about ideas a bit more in depth and stuff, because I find that the only downfall of working this way is that, you know, you're so limited. You always have that hour, which is a window and you're on Zoom and you kind of have to quickly rush through everything that you need to talk about in the meeting. And then the hours up, there's there is, I think, less moments in time where things are a bit more relaxed and you can take a step back and be like, let's just talk about this over a glass of wine yeah yeah definitely um well thank you so much for answering all my questions so i'm gonna get onto the q a box here so if anyone's got any questions for milana please ask now i'm always through them so um kim has asked do you contact new clients directly if there's a particular client you'd like to work with and how do you pitch yourself um we do um and i mean it really depends on who the client is um, and we we don't necessarily you know send pitch decks or you know anything that's like specific to something that they might be working on i think it's more informal than that so we always just reach out for a chat and then see if we align and you know if they're doing something that we could be helpful with um or not because sometimes you reach out to clients and you think oh my god this is going to be amazing and actually realize that you're not really meant to be <laughs> and that's okay too yeah definitely 
Um, so where are most of your clients based? Are they in the US or all over Europe or UK based? It's a mixed bag. We've got, I'd say we've definitely got a lot of our clients in the US and we love working with US agencies and US brands. Um, they're of a really collaborative mindset, really easygoing. And, you know, it's, it's always really nice when you're given that little bit freedom. Um, but same with our UK agencies and clients. Um, I think the UK has become a really interesting market as well, where yeah, advertisers are having to, you know, really step up and make content that is really engaging and really powerful because now that everybody's at home more, um, you know, we just absorb so much more online. So everything's become so much more important, like any piece of content that you make, it's not just about um, making cool TV commercials anymore like every piece that you put out is so important so I think creatively the UK has really really stepped up and I think we're starting to make our mark which is nice yeah good um, and I've got a question here from Ira do you do full treatments on pitch or on request if yes do you charge a meeting treatment fee um, yes, we do. And we don't always charge for treatments. I think most of the time, if we are collaborating with an ad agency, it's like a three way pitch and pitches are unpaid. Um, but there we have been really lucky um, that agencies have offered to cover our time on occasions, um, which is incredible because, you know, when you're pitching, sometimes you're spending a week to two weeks of a full you know team of people um doing so much work and fleshing out the idea storyboards style frames it's it's literally you know it can be quite endless um and i think you know it is really nice when agencies do have the resource to help cover that time yeah what, what's your opinion on free pitching i know it's something as an industry that has to be done but i found in the pandemic there was just so many agencies pitching for, like literally everyone seemed to be pitching for free and it was quite tiring um i think i mean it's a really difficult one because i totally understand the need for pitching but i think that it should be definitely something that is covered um, yeah. and people get paid for because for example um you know I, i'm not sure how it works for most agencies but i do feel a lot of our agency clients that you know they do the same approach that we do it where you pitch for free but you know sometimes you're just doing pitches 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 and actually that takes up so much resource um and the fact is that you know last year in particular there was a trend of where so many pitches were being done directors were being asked to come on board and do treatments at our end um, and then the projects there was they were all just being killed and i think that's a little bit like uh, not cool because if you have no intention of actually commissioning the project or you know the project actually coming to life then I think it's really unfair to ask the agency to come up with scripts explore ideas and then bring directors on board and collectively then we're spending so much time doing treatments um, and then the agency spending more time telling us how to refine it goes back to the client and then they're like mm, actually we're not going to do that this year I think that's a bit of a situation where it's like that's just not very nice it's mm. you know so much time spent everywhere um when you know there's no intention of actually going ahead and making the project well that was something I was saying to clients because being a recruiter I get to see everything and I was catching up all my clients are saying all these pitching and I almost imagined them the client was sat there like in the Roman times and like you'd have the agencies like the gladiators fighting and then Julius Caesar would just go no to like yeah. everyone and it was so like demoralizing and it's like and when I started telling my clients this that this is happening in the industry all these big brands are like oh we've got a bit of time on our hands should we explore that oh could you explore that yeah we're not going to do anything we're not going to move on this actually and it's just it is a waste of time and it is demoralizing for everyone i think it's difficult for creatives you know and copywriters because the bottom line is you're sat there you're coming up with all these ideas and you know it was a difficult year for everybody personally so to still stay motivated and be really creative with all that pressure to do something amazing that will really stand out and not just another like oh i've shot it on my phone at home and you know another montage it it, it was hard um so i think if you're you know working at an agency and all your ideas essentially are being killed one after another and it's just because as you said the brands have got a bit of time on their hands and want to explore things 
I mean, that's soul destroying <laughs> as it is for our directors when they're doing pitches and then it's just like, oh no, they're not really going to do that. If you lose a pitch and they're like, okay, they weren't feeling the creative, it wasn't quite the right direction, fair game, you know, that that's what it's about. And it's always good to have a bit of a healthy competition, a healthy reality check that we can't win them all. And, you know, there's something else that someone else did that was more interesting for the client, fair enough. But I think when you feel like, the sort of injustice almost of it where there's like no specific reason it's just like oh we weren't really going to do anything that's when it's really difficult to kind of like get over it emotionally and pick yourself up and be like right and now I've got to be fresh and perky and super creative for this next one oh is it actually going to happen yeah yeah I agree um so the next question is what's your favorite and least favorite part of running your own agency uh my favorite part is I think just being able to work with all my friends because you know I think that's the one amazing thing that over the years you become such close friends with everybody that you work with and everybody's so different like you've got so much to learn from each other on a personal level on a professional level and you know these people are not necessarily someone that you'd come across in your day-to-day so you meet through your passion for work and you suddenly start discovering other people's worlds and that's what I really love about and being able to support each other when we're making projects and then looking back at it and being like oh we did that that's really nice um and then the most difficult bit the bit that I don't like um it's probably contracts and paperwork (laughs) yeah 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 I can see that admin and yeah, I think when you kind of have to sit down and do, you know, the real work where you're kind of like, I have to look over these contracts or, you know, following up on situations that are like, oh, we still haven't resolved this clause. It's like the conversations nobody really wants to do and nobody really wants to have. Um, so, yeah, those are definitely not the fun bits. Yeah. Yeah, that's my kind of least favourite part as well, the kind of admin running day-to-day stuff. But which obviously it's essential for the creative stuff, but that's the uh, the least fun. Um, so we're out of questions from the Q&A section, but um, yeah, I just want to thank you so much again for your time and for joining us today. And there's just so much good information that you've shared there and stories about NERD. And I can't wait to see your projects in March. Oh, well, thank you so much, Nikki, for having me. And um, yeah, I'm hoping that the guys found the chat interesting and resourceful in some shape or form. <laughs> yeah, and feel free to tag us as well on um, Instagram and Twitter and we can share it. But um, yeah, we'll have a lovely day. And um, I'll catch you soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Take care. Bye.